Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. If we haven't met, my name is Jean-Luc and I have been part of Grace Life for quite some time now. And I have the privilege of bringing what I sense God is wanting to say and part of it is a conversation that I've been personally having with God for a little while and um, as I'm asking him questions. And if you're unaware, we're in a season and our preaching series is called Love My Community. Right? If you put that slide one up there, that'd be fantastic. Thank you. And uh, so I, I come from a little bit of a, um, I'm African if you haven't been able to, oh, thanks, to be able to tell, um, and I come from, in comparison to what Australia is, even though I have the accent, is that um, it's a little bit more community focused, so in terms of, with regards to how relationships happen, um, one of the things that you, that, that ends up happening, for example, is when I go to my mum's house, time, it's almost like I walk into a vacuum, and time doesn't exist, and then it's two hours later, my wife is messaging me, where are you? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I don't live here anymore. So it works a little bit like that. Is, um, whereas over here in, in English-speaking countries, generally in the Western world, um, things are managed from a place of time versus relationships. So there's a little bit of a disadvantage to, um, to at least here with regards to how some of this works out because of the mentality that, um, and the way that things are run economically, politically, socially, etc. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the African communities or developing nations have it all right. Okay, so, so that's not the point that I'm, that I'm making. And so when it comes to loving my community, our, the kingdom of God becomes what our default is supposed to be. And so whatever, wherever you come from, this has something to challenge you with. Now when we go to the Bible as well, one of the things that we need to understand is let's not read ourselves into the story. Okay, we need to refrain ourselves from, from doing that, especially this passage, which is Jeremiah chapter 29. And we know one of the promises that's in there, it's very fairly quoted. We're just going to read around it and then understand what the children of Israel are going through and do a little bit of what's called parallel learning. Let Holy Spirit talk to you with regards to some of the things that He might want to talk to you about in your life that are connected to the story and what Israel is going through. Right now, they're in a little bit of a, when we get to the story, they're in a little bit of what's called, uh, what Jake, you put it so well, is self-inflicted pain. That's what it is. Okay, so, and that's going to be the contouring. For a little while, oh, let me encourage you. Part of the conversation that I've been having with God to do with how really the church community um, organizes itself, what happens in church, church communities, uh, people come and go, and um, a little bit earlier, towards the middle of this year, I saw a, an article by the Riverview pastor who talked, being new to Perth, he actually talked about how it seems to be that in, in churches, the growth that people see is actually just people sub 
uprooting themselves from one community and going to another community and rooting themselves in there. And so it gives a little bit of a false um, image of, oh, the church is growing because these people are already following Jesus. And they've just uprooted themselves and gone to a new community for various reasons. Now, for you, if you are here and God has spoken to you about moving to a different community, whatever that looks like, and you've already had that word from God, this doesn't necessarily apply to you in the first, but the challenge is still the same. I've called my message, if we could go to slide two, please. Thank you. Community requires commitment. And the question is, are you here to stay? Are you here to stay? And as I'm talking with God about this, one of the complaints that I personally had in prayer with God has been, why do people come and go? 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 And I've seen a lot of, personally, really my friends um, come and go. We've served together. I've been to their house. I've been to my house. And there's a little bit of a, um, of a heartache that happens with that, right? Because it's, it's not just they're going to another suburb. They're going to another community. It's, it's relationship diffuses a little bit after that. There's a little bit of a heartache because there, there, are, there, there are hundreds of hours and days and months where we built relationship and it wasn't just because we go to the same place. It's actually that I thought of you as a person who I will spend eternity with and I get to start now. This is awesome. We get to encourage each other. This is awesome. And so when that happens, when there's a break like that, uh, having served in various parts of leadership um, and, and then seeing new people, so the Riverview pastor, you know, he, he sees new people come and then reopening the heart to new people and getting to know. New, so it wasn't actually meant to be like that. So it, it can be quite discouraging. Okay, so if, you, you know, if you've got a relationship with Pastor Scott, um, it's, it's one of those things that I, I know that um, as I was telling him about this, and I was just like, you know, why do people go and all this and all that, and we're praying through this. Um, I wonder what the perspective is from Pastor Scott's eyes, right? Something to think about. And it does require commitment because you will get hurt. I will get hurt as I've gotten hurt. Um, but that's not the end of the story either. It's not the end of the story. As I was complaining about I'm sick and tired of this, and I'm just tired <laughs> for a while. Um, he reminded me of one of my favorite verses in Matthew 11 um, and verse 28 to 30. And he says to people, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the Holy Spirit started to challenge me. And he said, you've been going to rest in entertainment, funny videos, <laughs> um, Sometimes you will play a guitar because good things also sometimes can be a distraction from the presence of God. You've gone everywhere else. Why don't you come to me and I will give you true rest. And in my tiredness, I had to go to God. And whilst he didn't necessarily give me the rest that I needed that time the way I wanted it, that word and coming into his presence, his presence was more than enough. And it was okay to actually wait till I had more energy. It was okay to actually wait in that moment where I didn't have enough energy with the hope and the promise that, yes, he will fulfill it. So that wasn't self-inflicted pain, though. But we're going to talk about that. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. 
And I'm just going to try and sign in here. Um, on that slide, and most, most of my slides will have little yellow bits of writings to kind of try and explain and to unpack some of the thoughts that I was having as I was reading through this, but that commitment has to do with covenantal bonds. Now, we don't write social contracts between each other. What actually glues us together as community is the blood of Jesus. It's a covenant. So, the African community doesn't have it, or the uh, developing nations don't have it all right just in the same way as uh, the developed nations don't have it all right, because it's covenant. That is from a kingdom outside of this world. And so it's got to look differently when we're talking about building community and loving on our community. So, covenantal bonds. It's going to require commitment. What kind of commitment? And here are the four things that I'd love um, that I will talk around with regards to commitment. Next slide. Thank you. It's commitment to God, commitment to people, commitment to growth, commitment to truth, and commitment to the purposes of God. So let's read Jeremiah chapter 29 from verse 1. I'm reading a New Living Translation. Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This was after flip the page. King Jehovah, the Queen Mother, the court of the court officials, the other officials of Judah, and all the craftsmen and artisans had been deported from Jerusalem. So all the best of that country were taken to uh, to Babylon as captives. He sent the letter by Elasa, son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, son of Hil Hilkiah, when they went to Babylon as King Zedekiah's ambassadors to Nebuchadnezzar. This is what Jeremiah's letter said. Super important. This is what, so this is how he opens the letter. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives. He has exiled homes and plan to save. Plant gardens and eat the food for them, those children, so that you may multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. So notice that earlier it said Nebuchadnezzar got them out of Jerusalem. God is actually taking ownership and going, I'm, I did that. I did that. Just in case you get a little bit confused about why you're here in Babylon and you think Nebuchadnezzar, this is going to come into play. A little bit later on. So he's saying, where I sent you into exile. Pray for the Lord. Pray to the Lord for it. This city that I'm taking you to. That you've, you've, you've gone to. For its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. Don't let your prophets, and not the language, your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Don't listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I've not sent them, said the Lord. This is what the Lord says. 
You will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and I will do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again into your own land. You claim that the Lord has raised up prophets for you in Babylon, but this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne and all those still living here in Jerusalem, your relatives who were not exiled in Babylon. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. I will send war, famine, disease upon them, and make them like bad figs, too rotten to eat. Yes, I will pursue them with war, famine, and disease, and I will scatter them around the world in every nation where I send them. I will make them an object of damnation, horror, contempt, and mockery. For they refuse to listen to me, though I have spoken to them repeatedly through the prophets I sent. And you are in exile. And you who are in exile have not listened either, says the Lord. Therefore, listen to this message from the Lord, all you captives here in Babylon. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says about you prophets. Ahab, son of Kolea. And Zedekiah, son of Messiah, who are telling you lies in my name. I will turn them over to Nebuchadnezzar for execution before your eyes. Their terrible fate will become proverbial so that the Judean exiles will curse someone saying, May the Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon burnt alive. For these men have done terrible things among my people. They've committed adultery with their neighbor's wives and have lied in my name, saying things I did not command, for I am, I am witness to this. I, the Lord, have spoken. That's a lot, but it's good. And it gives context to what's happening. So... Part of the reason why I believe God has been taking me and reminding me to go back to this um, scripture, and it, this was completely separate from the preaching series actually being, being, um, being announced. So I've been talking to God on the side and just kind of saying, hey God, this is what's happening. What, what, do, we, what do we think about the guys to building communities uh, what's that meant to look like in an age and a stage of life and, and in a society where everything is really transient, right? So the part of what ends up happening, for example, in church communities is people will come to church and treat it like a restaurant. And the church leaders are like your waiters. But they're not. Like, hey, they're not. It's, it, this is not a restaurant. You treat it more like a family home and the expectations are a little bit different. Uh, what you think you can bring is a little bit different. Because even the youngest in a family has something to contribute, right? Uh, even the eldest has something to contribute in a family. And so when we're talking about community, there are certain things to pay attention to that hopefully um, 
help us to think through in prayer with God with regards to what it means for us to come here and to stay as part of this community. One of the things that really encourages me, and I had never thought about this, is when Pastor Scott and Stella actually said yes to coming and pastoring Ellenbrook, they also decided to move in the community. It's not like, hey, I'm your pastor, and you know what? You will never see me outside of a Sunday, so that the picture that you have of me is just a Sunday best. It's, you will run into me at the shop, and you will see how I treat the waiter. You will see how I treat the person who is checking out my groceries. You will see how I drive, and I park. You will see how my children are raised. You will see all of that. And so, that challenged me, and helped me to think, like, what do we talk about when we're trying to build community? For those of you who want to know all those scriptures that kind of are informing my thinking, uh, if you go to slide three, it's all up there, and then you can ask Chris for it a little bit afterwards. You've got Jeremiah, Hebrews, Hebrews, Daniel. Um, Daniel specifically because during the period where the Israelites are exiled in, um, in, in Babylon, the story of Daniel is where you go to to look at what happens on the ground, like with the people. So this is really like a broad spectrum. This is what's happening at this level. And then Daniel's story is what's happening to the children of Israel, literally on the ground. So he was fairly young. Uh, scholars think he was actually a teenager. Um, and he was one of the best of the best. Probably served really high up in the, uh, in the, in the government or royal court. So at least he was, he, was, he was a son of probably somebody quite noble in Jerusalem. And so he had the, um, I guess, acuity or mental capacity to be able to handle something like serving in the king's court. That, because that's what Nebuchadnezzar was, was after. So that's who you read. Um, and part of the stuff that I'm going to be referencing as well has to do with uh, Jesus' dialogue and, and, and conversation that he has with his disciples in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16. Because he does say to them, I'm going away, but I'm going to leave someone with you. And this is how you know that I'm not leaving you. He talks about Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going away. You will have trouble and tribulation, but I have overcome the world. If you want some books, other references to look at, uh, if you go to the next slide, probably the number one book, and we run a course about this, is, uh, is The Joy Switch. It looks a little bit like this. You can talk to Pastor Ali about that. Uh, there's another book called Faithful Exiles. It's written by oh, somebody who, run, who works for the Barna Group. Uh, there's a Live No Lies book and podcast that you can listen to, and a non-anxious presence is how, how, how do we... How do we be the people of God in a highly anxious world, in a world that's full of generalized anxiety? How do we do that? Um, How to Reach the the West Again is a podcast by Tim Keller, who lived in New York City. And it's all about, and the way he looks at it is he says, the, the, the prevalence of atheism and not believing in God and agnosticism, um, that's actually a result of Christians being lazy over time. And so we have people that think that not believing in God is actually the kind of preset of humanity. But that's actually a minority across the world. Most people believe in something because we have evidence of supernatural 
power at work everywhere in the world. It's really in our arrogance that we think there is no, there is no God. And so, um, in a sense, we've created our own Babylon, as in our tradition. It's created our own Babylon, and now we're in a place where Christianity is not really liked as much. Um, live no lies, rebuilders, and then move on. Okay, so... Commitment to God, that's what it's going to require. Next slide, please. Chris, you're there? You're... Commitment to God. So Jeremiah starts the passage by saying, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says to you. This is what he says to you. And, and just in case you were a little bit, um, it, it's one of those things where God would be talking to them collectively and saying, just in case you were confused about who it is that's talking to you because you've been exiled, because there's this powerful army that seems to be taking over the world that has come and it's literally ransacked, destroyed the temple, taken the best out of Jerusalem and you've been brought to this place which looks like the technological, societal and political and economic center of the world right now. Don't be impressed by that, because I, the Lord of heaven's armies, is talking to you. There's a little bit, the Bible does a little bit of this where they will kind of repeat things or say things in a way that you you probably need to pay attention to and think about, have I heard this before? So the last time you hear something like this at a significant moment in the people of Israel's life is when Joshua is about to start the conquest of the land. And... If you, they're exiles, whereas they were coming out of an exodus. That's what they call the, 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 the specific thing that happened with Israel coming out of Egypt. Exodus versus now they're exile from the land. And when Joshua encounters the, the Lord of heavens, the commander of the heavens armies, there's something that happens. He asks him, are you for us or against us? And the answer is No. But as the commander of the Lord's armies, I have come. This is going to be super important because we need to think about whether or not we're committed to our purposes, the purposes of the land we're in, or the purposes of God in building community. The Lord of heaven's armies. It's not Nebuchadnezzar that's in control. It's God who is in control. Despite the fact that God used Nebuchadnezzar, despite the fact that they're losing. They're a bunch of losers in a city where they don't belong, disconnected from their past, disconnected from the temple, disconnected from the rituals that remind them of their identity. But God does remind them, I'm the Lord of heaven's army, so wherever you put Nebuchadnezzar, Keep looking up further because that's how far the gap is in between me and this person who, who you probably will be tempted to fear, who you probably will be tempted to place in a place as God. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar does that in the book of Daniel. He actually uh, erects a statue and asks everybody to bow down to it. Scholars believe that he was actually a statue of himself because he was that prideful. But God is saying... When you read and you read carefully, you've got to put this all in context. The Lord of heaven's armies, God of Israel. I'm still your God, by the way. I'm punishing you. I'm disciplining you. But I'm still your God. I still love you. And it's... I don't know if you grew up in the generation where parents still... 
did a little, a little bit of physical discipline. And um, it's, or even if they don't, like, you, it's really hard to receive, for example, one of the things that I, you know, that I remember is, you know, if, if I'm, I'm a bit mad at mum because she disciplined me, and yet it's dinner time and I see the food that she made, I know she made it with love. She was thinking about her children. She was like, I love my kids. I want them to eat. And there's a lot of it. I'm going to be pretty conflicted to kind of go, oh, I don't want to feel good about this, but I really love your food. It's a bit conflicting like that. Because God is going to say, I, he said, I sent you into exile. Like, this is my doing. Not, don't blame, you know, this is my doing. This is my response to your disobedience. And then at the same time, it's going, I have a plan for you and a purpose and hope. Woo! What you, like, how do you respond to that? So our choice is to know that who we worship matters. Therefore, we need to be committed to God when we're looking to love our community. It's not how people want to be loved that you love them. It's how God wants them to be loved. That he, that, that's the way that he loves them. Worship has to do with what we behold what we are awed by or what, inspire fe- what inspires fear in our heart will generally control us. And God is saying, I, the Lord of heaven's armies, am the one who should inspire fear in your heart and awe. I am the one you should offer loyalty beyond your circumstances to, not Nebuchadnezzar, because he's just an instrument on my chessboard. Commitment to people. Is the other one. In verse in verse five, God says to them, "Build homes and plan to stay. Build homes and plan to stay. You're only here seventy years, but plan to stay. Build homes, plan to stay. You're here for a little while. And this is." When God says to them, you exiles in Jerusalem, I'm still the God of Israel. You are my people. He's reminding them that they already have an identity in this space that they're in. You're not supposed to look like Babylon as soon as you enter and you've lived live there. And I mean, 70 years is enough to get, you know, kids, grandkids, maybe great-grandkids. And God wants them to multiply he says, commit yourself to the people of that land. They're not your enemies in the way that you think they're your enemies. But you need to be a beacon of hope. You need to be a kingdom, a people of the kingdom who live in a way that says God is our king. Build homes. Plan to stay a little while. It's a bit like us, isn't it? Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. He has. That's what he tells his disciples. And then he says to them, peace. Peace. My peace, I live with you. Not like this world. And we have those words echoing to the people of Israel as well, who are in captivity, who are being disciplined by God. Pray for the peace of that city. Don't treat people... Like they're annoying. 
A commitment to people means long-term relationship matters. If you're going to build community, you need to be thinking about this in the long haul. So, some of the stuff that um, I've been kind of brainstorming with God and, and some of the things that then I've been thinking about and throwing ideas with a few friends of mine around is, uh, is things like, some, sometimes the outworking of this is like what Pastor Scott and Stella did. It's to get in the life of the community. Or Christians who decide, hey, we're going to buy our homes around the same area if we can. And through relationships that we build in the local community, and it's literally like you don't have to win an entire street overnight unless you have the gift of evangelism instead of the gift of introversion. <laughs> um, is, that, is that the right word? No, I don't even know if that's the right word. Um, but you kind of go, hey, why don't we catch up and why don't you invite Steve over? Steve is one of my neighbor's names. He's actually moved down now. Um, why don't you invite Steve over for a barbecue? And then you talk to Steve. What is it about you? And over time, God works through a relationship. Why? Because it's, it's organic. It's relationship. It's long-term. You can see my character. You can see how I treat my family, whoever that is and whatever that looks like, people in my household. And you can say there is definitely something different about you. The rhythms of life that you hold... There's something different about you. It's not like every single Australian and how the culture sets itself up to, to go and to, to, to get you to value this, this or that thing. I'll give you a little secret you probably don't know. Uh, you probably know this. Um, a lot of migrant families, uh, refugee families, are actually scared to come to Australia <laughs> just because they feel like some of the stuff that makes up Australian culture, at least as they see it, might be a detriment to them being able to raise their kids in a way that is perpetuating what they've been part of. So things like the dishonor in Australia, that was a real shock to me. Like calling older people by their first name. It's auntie, uncle, grandma, granddad. I don't care whether or not you're related to me. That was it. And then, I, and then, <laughs> then some kid referred to their dad by their first name. I was like, "You're getting a whooping." Didn't happen. <laughs> it was, it's, it's so it's just that we we want everybody to be our friends, and you know, even the whole parents with being friends with their kids. And I'm like, okay, I'm still trying to work that out, but okay, sure. Um, so just that kind of thing where, and and you have a little bit of a trickle down. You lose certain things. So that's what, and 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 God is trying to get the people of Israel to invest in relationships, but don't become them because they will receive judgment as well for what they did. If you read Exodus 15, that's one of the things that God warns the people of Israel about before they even a people. It says, don't turn out like the people that, that I'm chasing out because I'm judging them through you. They are unrepentant. It got so bad, God wanted to eradicate these people because they were sacrificing their own children. And if you look at what God did instead for, the, for Israel, is he actually says to them in Exodus chapter 3 towards the end, um, after he's having a chat with Moses, he's saying, I'm actually going to get the people of Israel to, to, to grab gold, etc., uh, treasure from from, from Egyptians, and then you're going to put that treasure on the necks of your children. God is invested in the future, which comes through our children, whether or not they're yours. 
our children collectively as a community, investment in them. Next one, commitment to growth. It's going to require commitment to growth. Which is part of what he says in verse 5. From verse 5, build homes, plant, and plant to stay, plant gardens, eat the food they produce, marry, have children, find spouses for them so that you may have grand, many grandchildren and multiply. Now, it's a little bit hard to try and act in a, in, in a community and participate in a community when you're being disciplined by the Lord. Oh, God, I wanted to get away with the consequences of my bad decisions, Israel. And for a lot of us, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, we've been hurt, etc., etc., we don't want to contribute generally sometimes in community. Citizens of Israel are thinking right now. To be a model citizen in a country that has literally killed my family, my friends, uprooted me from where I found my identity. I have to find new rhythms. I have to restart from scratch. Imagine you're 70 years old and you're carried off to Babylon. How do you restart? How do you do that? But God says, no, 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 you don't get a pass. Grow. Discipleship and becoming like Jesus matters. This is what we can look at. It. Growth over things like self-preservation and abandoning God. God doesn't let them do that. Don't abandon, don't abandon the stuff, like what it is that I chose you for. Because I'm judging the nations for the very things that you did. So don't continue in them and expect that things are going to stay the same. So commitment to growth. And sometimes there are reasons why people don't want to contribute to community. Sometimes it's bitterness. It's unforgiveness. If you've come from a community where you've been hurt. It's pride, it's false gospels, it's having believed in false, false gospels, thinking that this is who God is, He's supposed to protect you all the time, He's supposed to do this all the time, to give you everything you want all the time when you ask Him. And then you realize that's not who God is, and, you, and we don't control God. But you're hurt by that. There's been a, an, an incredible amount of people that have walked away from the faith because God didn't do what they wanted him to do, when they wanted him to do, how they wanted him to do it. What does our faith hang on? Jesus promises trouble. In fact, if you look at the life of Paul, when God is talking to Ananias, who's going to go pray for him, he actually says, I, I must show him how much he must suffer for my cause. Like, Come on, God, you know, just chill out a bit, you know? <laughs> Moses wrote that the years of, of people are like 80 years, and it's toil, and it's hard. And God's just like, and you get a little bit more of that to Paul. In this book, um, when, you are not growing and, and when you are not growing and you're filled with the bitterness, pride sometimes, whatever, um, we tend to substitute joy. We're not generally relational. It's hard to be relational with somebody who's just, who's just like sour and bitter and it's like, all of the hurt in my life. Let me just rah, get it at you. I, want, I don't want to be vulnerable. I'll be vulnerable with you. I'll be vulnerable with all my hurt. Rah. Um, let me, 
Let me read from page 35 of this book. You might find yourself um, thinking about some of these things. And what these are, they're just coping mechanisms. It's like, you know, I just don't want to go to God because he's not going to do what I want him to do, when I want him to do it. So I'm just going to go and... This, (laughs) This joy shortage and joy is a fuel of relational connection. Translates to the diminished ability to stay relational while we'll handle hard stuff. Whatever that looks like. It's challenging to stay relational when the joy levels drop. Joy substitute become more alluring or more tempting. Our cravings increase. Just one more donut. I haven't had donuts for a while. We gravitate toward pseudo joys or um, the artificial, the non-relational replacement we seek for comfort because we want comfort because we're hurting, right? Um, Corinthians chapter, Second Corinthians chapter one. Blessed be the God of comfort who comforts us so that we can comfort others. If you can't be comforted, how are you going to be comfort? How are you going to be uh, the comfort of this community that is hurting? I've heard quite a lot about what happens in Ellenbrook. Apparently, there's quite a lot of negativity. So. Hope, I hope, that we're we're going to God for the negativity in our hearts so that we can be the joy that they need. That's my prayer. Addictions come into play in the form of beeps. So that's what B-E-E-P-S was. There. Um, Which are behaviors, experiences, events that we turn to when our joy levels are low. Sometimes it looks like playing video games a little bit longer than we should because we don't have hope. Uh, Sometimes it looks like watching pornography, turning to sugar, turning to alcohol to disconnect and turn inward, really. Woe is me. And pretty much anything we turn to when we reach our limit, we need some type of pseudo comfort. I would recommend that course. It's really awesome because it, it actually teaches you to engage with God so that you can be present and engaged even while you're hurting, which is Jesus did quite a lot. Um, especially, read what happens when he loses John the Baptist. It's in Matthew's Gospel after the 10th chapter. What kind of community will people come to when God reveals himself to them? Who are we, right? Because we've got to take care of our stuff. And God brings people to us. It's also going to require commitment to truth, which is the next slide, please, Chris. Christ-centered truth sets us free. Truth liberates. It's not, it's the idea that we are in this world, but we're not of it. We're governed by different things. Uh, Sometimes, and I wrote this down so that people will see it, uh, because a lot of the activists love to pull this one uh, out, is Jesus hung out with sinners. But they really take it to mean that Jesus sinned with sinners, which he didn't. And so as his representative, what, wherever you've been called into, right? And, and, I, and I understand that for some of us, we're having, we have jobs that are actually so demanding, not just outside the home, and sometimes it's inside the home, that there is such a demand on us. The temptation is for us to turn and become exactly like the world we're surrounded by. But God is offering himself to you to say, I'm with you through this. Look to me. Don't be awed by how difficult your, your, your situation is, but look to me because I want to use you and point to you as people turn to Jesus so that they can have hope and look and go, despite what you went through, 
Vicky, I love your story, by the way. I love your testimony. Thank you for having shared that. Despite what you went through, if you haven't spoken to Vicky, especially the parents, go speak to her. Ask her what God did in her life. Despite what you went through, God's activity in your life gives me hope. And last but not least, it's a commitment to the purposes of God. Seeking first the kingdom of God. Um, with just the previous one, commitment to truth, the people of Israel were actually believing lies by prophets who told them the things that they wanted to hear. In 2 Timothy, Paul talks about how there there will come days where people are not going to be able to handle the word, the truth, that is offensive to them, the gospel. And then they're going to get preachers and teachers around them who will will tell them the things that are going to make their, their ears tickle. Whatever that even means. Like, why would the Bible use that? Tickle my ears. I probably won't like it. But the idea is this. Is that you're going to hear, and we will all be tempted to hear what we want to hear, and not what God wants us to do. But what if we read His words, we held onto His promises like they're good for us, despite all the circumstances we're going through? Because then we are walking in the purposes of God. I'm only here 70 years, guys. It's reminding yourself of that. Like Daniel, reminding himself of that. I'm only here 70 years. I'm getting out. I know you love me. I know that, you know, when I'm at the sports club and, 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 and we're all there that other parents look to me or other people look to me as a model and example. But I'm not here to stay. Because one day I will be caught up with the Lord. I will be taken from this place. And if I can give you something is that God is better than your Babylon, even though it looks like I'm at a disadvantage societally here. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all other things will be added unto you. In the Lord's Prayer, a little bit earlier on when Jesus talks about that, He says um, in the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. And then in chapter 6, in chapter 6, then He says, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things. What is these things? The clothing you wear, the food you eat. Even though you've prayed about it, don't make it a thing. That's number one. Because God will prosper you. What would it look like for us to live our daily lives as if Jesus is truly king of our lives? What would it look like? Now, if you don't know, let me give you an example. You can think back to this. I'm sorry for traumatizing you for those who've been traumatized by COVID. (laughs) Uh, but objectively, look at it this way. When uh, Mark McGowan was calling shots, saying we're going to shut businesses down, we're going to do this or we're going to do that, uh, we can't, we're going to shut our borders. So when he spoke and the things that he would say, it would affect yours and my life quite significantly, right? Where we could go, where we couldn't go, would affect society, the relationships that we have. Now, looking at that objectively, that's actually what it looks like for us to live as if Jesus is king. Because whenever he says something, it affects me. It really does. It's not a suggestion. Ah, they're just doing their things over there in Canberra. And that's enough. It, it, it's, so that's a little bit of an example of what it looks like to live under the rule of a king versus the rule of, uh, versus what we're actually used to. I want to stop there. I want to pray for you if you are in this community and you never necessarily thought, about giving God your hurts, your pain. 
I want to pray for you if you are in this community and the way that you think God works is going to stay exactly the same like Zechariah. And when you hear a new word from him, you go, no, that can't happen. But that our hearts would be soft like Mary who ponders these things in her heart and actually believes God. Let it happen according to your word. I'm going to do a general prayer, by the way. And I want to pray for you here, just in case you're in pain, whether it's self-inflicted or not, physical, psychological, emotional, that God will bring you the comfort that you need so you will be exactly who he called you to be in the place that you're in. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for that. You are the God of our future. It's you who hold the universe, who holds the universe but a word of your power. And so we thank you that in Jesus' name we're here as your people. And as you haven't, re- as you haven't taken us away, Judgment Day is not here yet. I want to thank you for every single family, every person, family line represented here. And I thank you that the call of God is on them. There is a purpose on them. And I thank you that those purposes would be aligned with yours in every single thing they do. For those that are here that want comfort and need comfort because they've been in pain, I thank you that you're the one who comes and, 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 and heals us. We can't find it in this world, but you can turn this, these situations around. We thank you that in Jesus' name, there is nothing that is impossible for you. And we want to be the kind of people who live as if Jesus is king. Not because that's a nice exercise, but because that's the truth. And we thank you, God, that you will bring healing to this community, however it is that we've come. We bring healing to the communities around us, whatever streets are represented and suburbs are represented or sub-suburbs that are represented in Ellenbrook here today. We just thank you that in the name of Jesus, we want to believe for your power to be at work in every single one of those streets. For everyone else, Lord, that's here, that's needing your comfort, that's needing to to hear from you as well, God, with regards to specifically this, I want to pray that Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, you would make that so clear. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.